0: morning and greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here today and have enjoyed the service so far. And I also want to acknowledge and just share my appreciation, Marcus, for what you shared. And our prayers are with you as well as you seek God's will for what he has next for you in life. I'm sure it's challenging and difficult. May God walk with you. This is the second of... Lord willing, a four-part series on faith. And what I'd like to look at today is some, some of the heroes, the popular heroes we might say of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But beyond that, I want us to think about particularly how this impacts how we live today. Because these heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and I think I mentioned this in my last sermon, these heroes were not superhuman. They were not somehow made of something different than what you and I are made of. They didn't have a different God to serve than what we have to serve. And so I want to break that out a little bit today. But first of all, I want to look back um, at some of the things that, that uh, we talked about in the last sermon. And, and one was the definition of faith, because I think this is foundational. As we look at faith, it's important to know what the word means. The definition is the conviction of the truth of anything, belief, faithfulness. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition of substance, something solid. And that seems to go counter with what we think about when we think about faith, because faith at times may seem elusive. It may seem like something that's kind of out there that we just have to trust in because somebody said we have to trust in it, whatever, whatever it may be in our daily lives. But faith is based on substance, which is the idea of foundation or confidence. It's based on evidence, which is proof and assurance. And that, that's a definition given to us by Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. We also talked about why is faith necessary? Why is it important for us to have faith? And Hebrews 12, go ahead and turn to, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verse six makes it clear that faith is required to please God. And we'll dig into that a little, a little bit more. Uh, again today. But faith is required, so it's required to please God, but it's required really to believe almost anything at all. Uh, Faith is required to believe anything that we have not personally experienced. And you might even say that faith is required to believe anything that we're not experiencing right now, because as you know and as I know, our memories are challenged from time to time and cannot, cannot always be trusted. And also, faith is the link between the spiritual and the physical realms. Through what we experience in the physical realm, we can have faith in what is in the spiritual realm and what God says. The third thing we talked about, is, is there room for faith in the modern scientific era? And it's interesting because science in modern times, and I believe this is Satan's design and Satan's goal, to separate science and belief in God, or to make them look like they're counterintuitive, or they come from two different directions. But the founders of the scientific era pursued science because they had faith in God, not in spite of their faith in God. They pursued science because of their faith in God, not in spite of their faith in God. Their faith was not an impediment, but rather spurred them on to do science. In other words, their faith in the lawgiver which is God, pushed them to figure out the laws that they assumed would be part of nature. One could even argue that the modern scientific era would not have come to pass at all without faith in God as the foundation for scientific pursuit and study. So without faith in God, the modern scientific era quite possibly would not have happened at all. So rather than faith in God stifling the pursuit of science, it became the seedbed for the pursuit Of science. The scientific community will tend to consider the word faith as random, haphazard, naive, or even fallacious or delusional. Indeed, many of the world's faiths, religions are random and haphazard and delusional. And so I don't think when when science says those kinds of things, they're not completely off the wall. But our faith in God is not random. And it's not haphazard, and it's not delusional. Rather, it is rational and evidence-based. Some of that evidence comes from experience, some of it comes from history, and a lot of it, of course, comes from Scripture and our personal walk with God. Finally, miracles are not counter-science or proof that the laws of science do not exist, but rather they are evidence of an almighty God of the universe, feeding a new event into his universe that doesn't follow the laws of science. When we think of it that way, it's clear to us that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He controls the laws of science. He has them on his hand. And if he decides to suspend them momentarily for a time, he can do that because he is the author of the universe. So today in part two, we'll be looking more at the heroes the popular heroes of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 31. And then part three, what I'd like to do is look at <clears throat> look at some of the less popular heroes of faith found later in Hebrews chapter 11, ones that we may not talk about quite as often. And then finally, uh, what I'd like to do in part four is take um, stories from heroes of faith currently today. So, The last time that I preached, I I asked for you to share with me stories from people here at our church, uh, stories of ways that they lived out their faith, and I got a few, and I got enough for maybe about a five-minute sermon, and I know there's more there. So I'd like to have maybe 10, 12, maybe even 15 stories, and they don't have to be otherworldly or unusual. They don't have to be anything special, supernatural. Think about it. Think about it. Looking at Hebrews chapter 11, all that Abel did was offer what God commanded. He didn't offer what God did not command. He just offered what God commanded. All Joseph did in Hebrews chapter 11 was tell his children what to do with his bones. All Rahab did was host enemy spies. And I don't want to belittle these things, but what I want to say is this. Faith is as we experience it and live it out today, doesn't have to be miraculous. It doesn't have to be something incredible or unusual. So what I'm looking for, and what I'd like you to share with me in the next month or so, is down to earth, real stories of faith from our everyday lives, from people that have gone to this church. Maybe they've passed on. Maybe they're still here. I'd like you to share those stories with me, those stories of faith. Whatever it was, they did something. They took a step of faith because of what God said rather than doing what they would have rather done otherwise. So think about that, and I'd like to hear from you over the coming weeks. So today we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 31. There's three things that we're going to look at here today. Number one is how is faith practiced, and I think we have gone over that to some degree. Number two is who can have faith. I want to contrast a couple of these people found in this chapter, and then thirdly, we'll look at some of the examples of faith found here and what that means. What does that mean? What did they do? What was so special about what they did, and how did that tie in with their belief in God, and how can we, what can we learn from that? So first of all, how is faith practiced? And, and Jason read the passage in James chapter 2, and James makes it very clear that he believes that faith is practiced by works. Is that right? He certainly seems to think so. But I want to look back here at Hebrews chapter 11 because it's very clear in this chapter how faith is practiced. It's actually fairly simple. It's fairly simple. It's not easy. It's not uh, always, perhaps, easy to grasp, but it's fairly simple. We've already looked at verse 1 uh, last, last sermon faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verses 2 and 3 give some examples of faith. Verse 3 says it this way Through faith we understand, through faith, not through what we saw with our eyes, we did not observe this. Through faith alone we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which now appear. Mind boggling. Completely mind boggling and must be understood by faith. But in verse 6, Uh, That's what I want us to focus on with this question. There's some key phrases here that show us how faith is practiced. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The reality is, it's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because if we're going to come to God, we must, first of all, believe that he exists. Basic. If we don't believe that he exists, we're not going to come to him. Very. That's, that's pretty straightforward. We must believe that he is. And then secondly, we must believe that he rewards those that diligently seek him. And I, and I believe seeking him diligently here is a little bit more than um, spending 15 minutes a day reading my Bible and 15 minutes and praying. Those things are good and those are, are important. And that's part of the seeking I don't want to belittle that. But the idea here of diligently seeking, I think, is beyond that. It's not just, it's not just spending a little bit of time here and there. The, the, the idea behind this word is to search out, to investigate, and even to crave. Do you crave that time with God, that relationship? Do you seek him? Do you crave him? And to James's point, when you truly believe that God rewards those who seek him, you will respond in action. So two things, you must believe that he is, that he exists, otherwise you won't even come to him in the first place, and you must believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. All throughout scripture we find stories of people that God rewarded because they sought him diligently. At times it seems like God just... Rewarded those people randomly because they sought him. That's it. That was the only reason. Because they chose to diligently seek him, he rewarded them. And we find story after story after story of that. And he promises to reward us if we seek him as well. We also see stories throughout church history and up until our time of people that sought God diligently. And he rewarded them in various ways. In various ways, God rewards those who seek him diligently, and we we understand that also to point to the ultimate reward, which is eternal life with him. So how is faith practice? Believe, first of all, that God exists, and secondly, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. But now I want to look at who can have faith. Who can have faith? Is this open and accessible to anyone? Now, intuitively, we know that anyone can have faith. We say that we kind of know that intuitively, but do we really believe it? To illustrate this, I'd like to look at two people mentioned in the faith chapter here in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham and Rahab. And if you, if if you uh, go down through the chapter here in Hebrews chapter 11, you can see that Abraham is found in verses 8 through 19. Biggest section of anyone in the faith chapter. Important man. Biggest section. Lots to say about Abraham in regards to faith. On the other hand... Rahab is found in one lonely verse in Hebrews 11, verse 31. I don't think that means that she was unimportant. But interestingly, both are found in the passage that Jason read in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And I want to take a step back and compare and contrast these two people, Abraham and Rahab, because I think that can help us understand who has access to faith in God. Let's look at Abraham first. James chapter 2 indicates that Abraham was called the friend of God. Now, what do you have to do to be called the friend of God? What kind of life do you have to live to be called the friend of God? Do people call you the friend of God? What, what would you have to do to be able to gain that, that, uh, that name? Abraham was the next godly man in history to Noah, after Noah, through whom God would start the Israelite nation. He was the man to whom God promised his children would be like stars in number, or the sand of the seashore. The man with whom God made a covenant of blood. He had Abraham cut up the animals, lay the pieces on either side of the bloody path, and get this, God walked through twice so that Abraham didn't have to. A man who impersonated God by offering up his only begotten son on the altar and Hebrews chapter 11 here indicates that, figuratively speaking, God raised Isaac from the dead, in a sense. He was a man, it appears, that either God himself or Jesus actually visited Abraham in person. Can you imagine a visit from God in person? That sounds like an oxymoron to say God in person, but I believe we see that in Genesis 18. A man who it appears that God, either God himself or Jesus, actually visited along with two angels. And it appears that God himself visited Abraham's house and that God himself ate a meal with Abraham. I don't know of any other case like that in the Bible, where God himself ate a meal with a man. And finally, Abraham's conversation at the end of Genesis 18 is unparalleled in Scripture, except maybe by Moses, Jesus, you could probably also say Job, had a personal conversation in the same way with God. But in verse 16 in Genesis chapter 18, God is asking himself, I get this, God is asking himself, should I, I'm going to do this to Sodom and Gomorrah. Should I tell Abraham about this? Should I tell Abraham about this thing that I should do? Will I tell him or won't I? You know, you, you can, you can understand that. Should I tell my friend this? Should I not? This was God. And finally, God decided, God concludes that he should tell Abraham this. And then in verses 20 through 33, detail the incredible conversation. You can turn there, Genesis chapter 18, just scan over that conversation that Abraham and God had. Incredible conversation between a man, a mere mortal, a speck of dust, and God Almighty himself, creator of the universe. And Abraham has the audacity and the persuasion, and I don't know if I can fully understand this, To persuade God to not destroy Sodom if there are ten righteous found there. And God actually agrees. God actually agrees to honor Abraham's request. So that's Abraham. That's Abraham. What about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. The lowest of the lows. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11 refers to her as Rahab the harlot. And it seems that her questionable background was still used to identify her here. Rahab the harlot. Not only was she a harlot, but she lived in a heathen culture. A culture that worshipped idols, sacrificed children, practiced low low morals, etc., etc., etc. She lived in the bad end of town. A culture that was so bad that Leviticus 18.28 says that the land actually vomited them out of the land. That's how bad the culture was that she lived in. Yes, that Rahab, the lowest of the low, the scum of the scum. The type of person that if we would see walking the street, we would probably shield our eyes, turn the other way, and hope to never see them again. The kind of person that if she were to come into our church today, We would want to avoid. We probably would not want to sit with her or talk to her. And yet in James chapter 2, which talks about faith and works, we see several verses on Abraham. And then there's a transition verse in, in verse 25 that Jason read. The verse starts with likewise. And the NIV, it says, in the same way. In the same way that Abraham was justified through his faith by works, in that same way, Rahab, the harlot, was also justified by works through faith in God. In the exact same way. How? How was she justified? It gives two, re- two things. In James chapter 2, she received the spies and she sent them out another way. That's it. That's all that she did. And because of that, she was justified by... By her works through faith in God, in the exact same way that Abraham was the friend of God, the man who conversed with God in the way that you and I converse today. You see, you can be a friend of God, experiencing intimacy, conversation, and communion with Him, or you can be the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, a wicked person in a wicked culture, living a wicked lifestyle. And either way, you have access to this thing called faith. Every human in the world has the same access to God through faith as every other human. Now, I don't want to belittle what Rahab did because it was an act of faith, for sure, in a land where there was no faith in God. The Canaanites knew that the Israelites were coming. I would imagine they knew about uh, the promise to Abraham that in 400 years this people is going to come back. I would imagine word of that leaked out. That would be my guess. And the Canaanites knew, and maybe they were even counting down the years. I don't know. But I think that they felt fairly safe because they probably imagined their gods stronger than the, uh, than the gods of the Israelites, which if the gods of the Israelites would be, scr- would be strong, they wouldn't be in Egypt after all. But surely they also knew that for 40 years this group was wandering around in the desert and that now the Israelites' God had defeated the gods of the Egyptians in spectacular fashion. And surely they knew how the the Israelite God had preserved his people by giving them food in the desert, how their clothes didn't wear out, and most of all, how they defeated everyone and every god in their path. And now finally... This God of Israel defeated Baal, the strong water God, at the Jordan River, by causing the sea, to, causing the water to stop flowing and allowing his people to cross. And that was the last God that I believe represented protection to the Canaanites. And so Rahab took, took her life in her own hands. Her choice of believing in God was a matter of life and death. And Rahab backed up her faith. With action. Can you imagine living a completely despicable lifestyle and yet just a little thread of faith? A small seed of faith is all that it took. And she jumped into action. She believed that God is, and she believed that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. But I want to look at other examples of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look back and see how these men and women believed that God exists and that they also believe that God rewards those who diligently seek him because I believe this can give us some perspective on how we can live out our faith today. The first example is Abel in verse 4. Abel brought an offering that was acceptable to God and it contrasts his offering. His offering was contrasted by that of Cain who did not bring something that was acceptable to God. Abel listened to what God required and brought that offering. Enoch walked with God. Noah, because of his fear, his respect, and his awe of God, he walked by faith and not by sight. We already talked about Abraham, but I believe that this um, kind of sums up Abraham's life. This is something that I heard recently that I think is a good summary of the life that Abraham lived and that he experienced because there were four times that Abraham had a choice. Am I going to believe what God says or am I going to go my own way? The first time, God said, I'm going to send you out. And Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll tell you later, just go. The second time, God said, I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll tell you later. Just wander around for a while. The third time, God said, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham said, how? And God said, I'll tell you later. Just wait. And then the fourth time, God said, now that you have your child, go and kill Abraham your child. And Abraham said, why? And God said, I'll tell you later. Just walk up the mountain, take the knife, and the fire. And every time, Abraham obeyed. Not only did he obey, but he obeyed fully, and he obeyed immediately. Incredible. Even even when God hadn't fully shown or fully Followed up on his other promises. It was like every time that God that Abraham talked to God, there was a new promise. It was like, well, God, you haven't fulfilled the other promise. How, How should I believe this new promise? It didn't matter. Abraham still chose. Even though God has not fulfilled those other promises yet. I'm still going to believe and I'm going to obey and I'm going to go. And we know how eventually it all came together for Abraham later in life, but he spent years and years trusting and believing in God, even though he did not see the fulfillment of those promises immediately. That's difficult. Have you done that? That is difficult to do that, to believe and trust in a God that we can't see with our eyes, to believe his promises, even though he hasn't yet fulfilled them in the way, even in the way that he said he would, in the way that we think he should, or in the timing that we think he should, but not even in the way that he said he would, at least not yet. That was Abraham. We move on to Isaac. Isaac prophesied accurately what would happen to his two sons. Jacob prophesied that both of Joseph's sons would be counted with Joseph's generation. Joseph gave commandments concerning his bones. Now, what does this mean? How is this an act of faith? Let's look up that verse. uh, See if I can find it here quickly. Um, Verse about Joseph. In verse 22, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. That's all it says. That's all it says. But we know a little bit about what Joseph knew, and Joseph knew about the promise to Abraham. 400 years, you're going to be brought out. You're not going to be here forever. You're not going to stay in Egypt long term. This is not where you're going to be forever. And so Joseph, by faith, told the next generation, this is what God said. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. And I want you to take my bones with you when you go. Moses chose God's lowly people over the glitz and glamour of the most powerful nation of the world at that time. He valued the disgrace of Christ higher than the treasures in Egypt. And I want to look at that verse, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. And I think sometimes what, what I tend to do in my walk of faith is I compare the good things of God with kind of the negative things of the world. And I think that's, that's an okay thing to compare. You know, we have all these promises. We have, you know, if we, if we live in this way, Um, Good things tend to happen, and we compare that with kind of the difficulties that the world's facing around us. But that's not what it says here. Moses Moses compared the disgrace, the hard things, the difficulties about following Christ. When he looked at the most difficult things about following Christ and compared that with the most attractive things about being in Egypt, he chose the most difficult things about following Christ. And I think that's important because if we just compare the things that are beneficial about following Christ, there's a lot of benefits to following Christ. There really is. But if we just compare those things, when we face difficulties and challenges and face the disgrace of Christ, we might be challenged. We might be challenged to continue having faith. And so what Moses did is he compared the most difficult things about following Christ with the most attractive things about following Egypt and he chose the most difficult things about following Christ specifically. Finally, the children of Israel in verse 30, there's just a a small verse there by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. The children of Israel chose to follow God's command to march around the city wall 13 times, silly as it may seem they chose to do that by faith. And then we also end up with Rahab in verse 31. And we've already discussed how she chose to follow the God of Israel in a land that was not following the God of Israel and that was against God completely. So I want to conclude by looking at By first of all, reviewing and then looking at a couple of ways that we can use these examples to spur us on in our faith today. And again, when I ask for examples of faith here at at our church that you've observed, that you've you've witnessed, what can tend to happen is if we share stories about faith that we observe, we kind of tend to lift those people up. Wow, you know, that person had faith. And and God really used them. That's, that's really impressive. I don't think that's what God's doing here in Hebrews chapter 11. I don't think he's picking out these 20 or 30 people to make them somehow better than everybody else. Or somehow make us think that they were ahead above the rest. I think God is giving us examples of real life people living in real life situations that we can identify with. So that we know that there's hope for us. And that we can also live in that way. And so, so as you think about stories of people here in our church, that's what I'd like to hear. Regular, everyday things. How have you observed faith in in other people here at Mine Road? So, in conclusion, how do we practice faith? First of all, believe that God exists, and secondly, believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What does it mean to diligently seek God. Secondly, who can have faith? The person who walks with God can have faith. On the flip side, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, who turns his or her heart toward God can have faith. And I don't, I don't know where you find yourself this morning on that spectrum in your relationship with God. Are you experiencing sweet communion with him? Or do you feel like you're just going through the motions? Or do you feel like you're so far out of touch with God that he could never reach you? You're so far away from him that he can never reach you. Or maybe you're even experiencing rebellion against him. And I want to remind all of us that all people equally have access to God by faith. That's the beauty of faith. It doesn't take prior works. To have access to God by faith. God doesn't require works first and then faith. Yes, faith results in works, but God doesn't say, to come to me, you have to do all these things, and then I'll look at you. That's how so many other of the world's religions operate, and the way that they think. Do all these things, and then you can maybe be accepted by God, and then you can come to him. That's not how God operates. God doesn't require prior works. All people equally have access to God By faith, And then as we come to God by faith, we live in a different way because of that faith. Examples of faith. How do we make this practical? Like Abel, are you offering to God what he is asking of you? Or are you offering him what you want to bring him instead? And I I believe there's, I believe the story of Cain and Abel, I think, goes even beyond that. Because Abel's offering required blood. And I believe there's symbolism there of Jesus' blood. Covering sins. But I think it's important for us to think about. Because from time to time, God may ask me to do something. You may think, I don't want to do that. I'll do this over here for God, but I don't want to do that. And I think that's what we find here with Cain and Abel. Are you willing to do are you willing to offer what he's asking you to do? Or are you offering him what do you want? To bring him instead. Like Enoch, are you choosing to walk with a God that you cannot see? Are you choosing to walk with a God that you cannot see? Like Noah and Abraham, are you willing to walk by faith and not by sight? Like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, are you choosing to believe God and his promises? Are you sharing them with your children, even when circumstances appear? like the exact opposite is happening. Those three generations experienced a lot of difficulty. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. The family is spiraling out of control, and yet God had a plan, and God had promises, and those three men doggedly believed God's promises in spite of where their family was in that situation. Like Moses, are you choosing Jesus? Even those things that are unattractive about Jesus in our day and age over the glitz and the glamour of living in the world's most popular, most powerful nation of our time. That's where we are. We're living in, I believe, symbolically in the land of Egypt. Are you choosing the difficulty of following Jesus over the glitz and the glamour of living in the powerful, the most powerful nation of our time? Like the children of Israel, are you willing to do something silly, like walk around the city thirteen times, because God said to do it, because God told you to do it, and for no other reason, for no apparent uh, common sense reason. And like Rahab, are you willing to do things that may result in your own harm because you believe that God is who he says he is? So my question for you this morning is, how are you living out your faith? And I look forward to hearing From you, stories of ways that you have seen faith worked out here at Mine Road Church. Let's kneel for prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to you in faith. Thank you that, in spite of the challenges that we face, in the world that we live in, the difficulties, that we always, no matter where we are, have the opportunity to turn our hearts toward you in faith. Thank you that you accept us when we do that. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom in what it looks like to live out our faith. May we respond to your promises and to our belief in who you are. First of all, in our belief in that you exist, and then secondly, our belief that you reward those that seek you diligently. May may we respond to that in ways that are pleasing to you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you for challenging us this morning, Larry. Uh, do you believe that God is who He says He is? And then, are you willing to act on it? I looked up the story of Rahab a bit, and Joshua two records that that evening before they all went to bed, she went up and talked to the two spies, and she said, "We heard the stories, and we know that your God is God." And she actually uh, gives expression of faith in God there your testimony this morning. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? And are you willing to act on that? Or whatever else you have to share. It's good to be here this morning, and thank you for preaching, Larry. Um, It's good to finally hear you preach in person. Thanks to the live streaming here, I'm able to at least um, observe some of the sermons, some of your sermons, but it's good to be here in person this morning. And I I think the thing that kind of was grabbing me this morning is sort of the, the correlation between faith and obedience and how in order to obey God, we need to have faith. Uh, we don't just obey anything that comes down the pike, right? We have to believe that it's going to, you know, be, be worth our time. And so I think there's a, there's a correlation there. And um, sort of your description there of Abraham and the way he obeyed every time, it's what a powerful, powerful story and a powerful testimony. Um, and what does that look like in our lives? What does that obedience look like in our lives? It <clears throat> um, takes a internal check, I believe, for each one of us. It's good to be here with you this morning and just want to thank you again for um, your recent offering that was we received part of, I believe, VS Love Offering. We're very grateful. Um, I think every time we receive that, my wife and I kind of look at each other and just shake our heads and wow. <laughs> so we're very grateful to you as a church in the ways that you um, bless us and um, walk with us in, in where we're at. Also to our small group here you all know who you are. Um, your recent gift here this week was a blessing as well, and just meant a lot to us. So we're very grateful for the, for that. Um, and uh, yeah, God bless you as a church here and what you're doing. Um, God is working; He's moving. Just, it would. I'm sure it would be good for you all to hear some of the things that are happening in our lives and. And um, my wife and I keep talking about that we should probably write an email and, and update you all. Uh, our lives are very busy, and we're discovering that. Um, and I'm sure you all discovered that too. But there's there's just – it feels like there's endless amounts of people to put your life into, to, to spend time with, to interact with, to um, just help. And I think my wife and I are sort of in a season of feeling that where – a lot of so many people around us that we could put our lives into, and, and where do we start and stop, and still raise our family? So if you think about us, you can pray for us in that, and just for the work of Choice Books. Um, yeah, we're grateful for you as a church, and thanks for your support. Thanks, Larry, for sharing, and yeah. We-